On Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to iCommunicate. Glad to be back here. And uh, Ted, how the heck are you today? I'm large and I love it, baby. Large and in charge? Yeah. All right, I love that. So, you know, I I, I just, I I got to share, Ted. You know, so I'm moving this week. Well, actually, I'm moving next week, officially. Oh, my least favorite human activity. So awful, so awful. It's so, the worst. So I had to uh, uh, participate in one of the most painful tasks, which is to make phone calls to stop services in my existing home oh, and yeah. start up new services like in my new home. like pulling teeth. Right. So there have been lots of fun stories, but there was one thing that's happened this week that perfectly leads into the topic we're going to discuss today. All right. And so... Um, I ordered a dining room table from this online company, okay, which I'll remain nameless. All right, so I ordered it from them. And the reason why I ordered it was because it said delivery was going to be between October 23rd and October 28th. Okay, that's a window, right? but it fits. Right, and in my official move was October 21st, so I said that's pretty safe, Ideal, right? Ideal, yeah. So on, what's today, October 15th. So on October 9th, I get a text showing me a picture of the furniture arriving at the at the condo that I'm buying, which I do not own yet. Five boxes. Oh, man. So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, you got to be kidding me. So I call the company, and I said, you know, what's the deal? It said between October 23rd and 28th, and today is October 9th. And so the woman says to me, well, it did say estimated delivery. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, at any point in your life, when you've ordered something that has estimated delivery, has it arrived two and a half weeks outside the window? And she goes, well, probably not, but it does happen from time to time. And so she wasn't going to help me because what I wanted her to do is come pick it up. So she wasn't going to help me. So I said, let me speak to your supervisor. So the supervisor comes on the phone and was awful. And, and Ted, I, I'm going to send you after the show today. And for those of you out there who have not heard the comedian Brian Regan, I'm going to send you a bit he does on hotels. And one of the things he talks about when he goes to hotels is when you get a key and then you go to your door and it doesn't work because it's been demagnetized. And he does this little riff where you go back to the front desk and you say your key doesn't work. And the hotel desk says, well, did you rub it against anything or like what did did you have anything that may have demagnetized it? And so he says, I was looking for an apology and a new key, and instead I got an accusation. So point is, this supervisor was terrible, um, wouldn't help me, started calling me out for not understanding the definition of an estimated delivery time, and it turned out to be my fault, apparently. Wouldn't help me. And so it got me thinking, Ted, beyond the fact that it was horrible customer service, it got me thinking about the word expectations. And so, technically, they do have that estimated delivery date to fall back on, right? Because estimated does say... I'm sorry. I got to disagree with you. Sure, please. Because estimated with a defined term afterwards means that it's estimated within the defined term. And I'd be very happy to send you a good lawyer. (laughs) That's good. Well, so, no, that's a fair point, actually. That's a fair point. 
But I guess, but but I guess, in in you know, I even thought about it further, and I think your point's valid. I thought, well, most people, if they get it early, are probably happy. Most people might be. Might be right. So it got me thinking about expectations, and one of the things I hear a lot from leaders is that they have high expectations of their teams. And so whenever I hear a leader say that, I ask them two questions, Ted. I say, first of all, what does that actually mean? And second of all, do you think having high expectations could be detrimental for your team? Uh And so on the first one, Ted, they say, when I say, what does that actually mean? They'll say, well, I expect them to do what they say they're going to do and get a certain amount of work done and so on and so forth. And I said, so if you actually communicated to them very specifically how you define high expectations and how it would relate to them personally, and I would say 80% of the time they have not, and they've said specific things like individual things, but not in a cumulative way or in a, in a, in a very thoughtful way. And as far as the second point when it comes to expectations, which is, um, could it be detrimental to them? Ted, this is the thing that really I, I, I feel very passionate about. And when you have high expectations of somebody, then you're putting your own values and needs and drivers and assuming they should have the assuming same. Assuming that they. Right? Have the yes, same. Yes, absolutely right. We're human beings and it's as if people are supposed to read our minds. Yeah, and so, but, so but can, can I stop please, you a moment? Yes. Because this, you're absolutely right. This subject relates back to the customer service or lack of customer service experience you had, and that is, it is on the part of the seller to define terms. The buyer should not give up their money in any time where the terms are not defined. Caveat umptor, right? Well, you want to know the irony of the whole thing, Ted? Just to put a bow on that story, the irony of the whole thing is I was so furious with this supervisor that I actually said, you know, I want you to know that I train companies on a national basis in customer service, and you have violated basically every rule I teach people to do in taking care of customers and doing right by customers. So if you are getting any training fire them because you're doing a terrible job. And I actually said, there's no reason to keep this conversation going if you're not going to help me and hung up. And wouldn't you know it, Ted, an hour later, I got an e- I got an email from the company saying, we have someone on the way to pick back up the furniture. So she obviously had remorse and thought of it, but the point is it was too late. I had already made arrangements to get it at that point. And so it was just funny because she finally came to her senses at, at like you're saying that it was on them, but it was too late. So look, here's, here's the thing I want to talk about with expectations. So if I said to a leader, is it good to have expectations? I just asked this question to someone the other day and he said, absolutely, because this is how you're accountable and this is how you strive for excellence. And I said, I, I agree. And so I said, so when you ask someone to do something, you expect they're going to do it, right? I mean, let's let's say as it is. You, hey, this is how I need you to do this, and I expect you're going to do it, right? Is that really a high expectation? Because I'm a little confused right now, and 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 if the guy doesn't define the terms of what he or she expects, 
as high expectations, then people aren't going to know. They're just expected to do their job, and that's his high or her high expectation. Well, so that's interesting, Ted, because you're leading right into my point, and that is that I can have an expectation of somebody, but for them to met for them to meet that expectation, even if it's part of their job description, even if it's a requirement for them to meet that expectation, I have to know if they're actually capable of doing so. And you know what I see is a lot of times when you ask someone to do something, they're gonna they're gonna yes you because they don't want to disappoint you and because they think it's a part of their job. But when they go back to do the task, they might not have the knowledge or experience to know how to do it. They might not have the confidence to execute it, right? And I'm going to give you a great example. One of the companies I was talking to was talking about how credit line increases. They're a a very large company. And how credit line increases for their customers are taking a longer time because of the amount of requests, because of COVID, so on and so forth. So this sales leader has said to his salespeople, listen, you guys need to get these requests in quicker because they're taking a longer time and you need to be proactive and you need to do this, this, that, and the other thing. But he never told them how, Ted. He just said, this is what you need to do. Well, unless you define the terms of your instruction, they are not instructions. They are wishes. Well, and in my point, you know, back hope to, is not a strategy, well, right? Is, that's right. And my point back to the sales leader is you have a tenured sales team. Every one of your tenured salespeople has been approaching credit requests, customer credit requests the same way for years and years and years. Now all of a sudden on a dime, you're saying to them, "Hey, you need to do this differently." And you know what? Not only are you t- saying that to them, you're even telling them the why. Good for you. You're telling them the what, and you're telling them the why. But now, when they all go to do it, these habits have been ingrained for so long. So in your mind, your expectation was clear because you told them what you wanted to do and why. But then when they go to incorporate that into their daily routine, it just habits don't change that way in most cases. So I said what you needed to do is you needed to do two things. You needed to tell them how they should adjust their process, so to make sure they understand and have a feel for to do it. And you needed to gauge um, if they had any concerns once you tell them how to do it, if they think they can actually implement it that way. And so the expectations are tricky. We have to get past the point of, and I'm telling you, Ted, this is why I'm bringing this up to start the show today. The number one thing, hands down, that I hear from leaders They said, Mark, if you're going to come in and help our team with leadership training, with sales training, with company culture, you know how I'll know it worked? If the amount of repeat conversations I have with people go down. Because that is happening over and over that you have to have repeat conversations. And so my my thing is with expectations is, look, it's just not, if, if you're of the mindset of a leader, I'm going to tell you what to do. I expect you to get it done. That, that doesn't work anymore. And when I say it doesn't work, it'll work occasionally. But for every one time it works as cleanly as that, it's going to not work, you know, another five to ten times. You know that thing you just said about repeat yes. conversations? Yes. I always respond with, well, if you have to repeat a conversation, there was something wrong with Pete. <laughs> 
Think. <laughs> let's think about this. What did you leave out of Pete? What do you mean? Well, it's a repeat. Pete's the one that had the That's problem. Pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, and and I think so. So you know, as a final thought before we head into our first break, this this is the this is the takeaway. If you're setting expectations for someone, you need to understand. You can give them the what, you can give them the why, but you better make sure they know how to do it. And the how is based on skills, experience, knowledge, confidence. Okay? Brilliant. And then the, and then the last thing is, if you're setting expectations for a person's role or their job or whatever, you need to get them to, to tell you what their expectations are first. Because then you can see where the gap lies between what you think they should do and what they think they can do. And on that note, for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. And if you'd like to call into the show, the number is 508-871-7000. And uh, would love to hear from you. What's that number? 508-871-7000. So, all right. So, we're talking about our performance management. And we're going to do a series of these shows in the next few weeks. And this is our first one. And, you know, we're going to transition a little bit into coaching. And I... I have to say, you know, one of the things I love to do when I work with companies is I do these discovery interviews. And what that means is when a company contracts with me to do leadership training, I will then ask the company to speak to some of the leaders in the organization for a couple of purposes, actually. First of all, um, I think it's really important when you, when you work with a company in a training or consulting capacity that you empower the people in the training to have an active role in the topics being discussed in the training. So I like to get a feel for what these leaders believe are the most important and pressing items in the organization. So that's one thing. The second thing I like to do is I like to get to know some of the people that are going to be in the training and understand um, what's going on in their world with their teams and things like that, just so I know how to incorporate perhaps different role plays or different problem-solving challenges into the training um, so it can be very applicable to them. And one of the questions I ask in those discovery interviews with them is I ask them what their most effective motivational strategy is to motivate their team aside from consequences and rewards. And I always get crickets, like at least 10 for the first five seconds. They're like, huh, that's a, that's a really good that's question. That's pretty deep, too. Well, I have to tell you, the guy I was talking to yesterday, he just aced it. Like he just, he, he thought about it for a few seconds and he goes, yeah, you know what I typically go to is I try to understand each member of my team's drivers and motivators. And I was like, oh, God bless you. I'm like, that's such a freaking great answer. And I'm like, it's so rare I get that answer. So he said, I like to understand drivers and motivators. And, and you know, for those of you listening to the show out there who are thinking like, okay, I get that. Uh, however, when I need to motivate someone to show up on time for work, 
you know, how do I, if I know their drivers and motivators, how would I correlate that with getting them to show on time for work? Well, here's the answer. You know, someone's drivers and motivators for why they work at the company, it could be uh, to support their family. It could be because they're on a career path. They want a promotion. It could be they want to raise. It could be they love their team or their boss, whatever. Okay. So if someone's showing up late for work, the way you correlate drivers and motivators is you could say something along the lines of, you know, instead of the boss speak that I referred to on the last show, which is, you know, Ted, you're supposed to be on time for work, where the person's like, really? I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me that. You could say something along the lines of, listen, Ted, you know, you're such a valuable employee here. And, um, you know, this showing up late for work, it's one of the rare things I ever need to talk to you about. And wouldn't it be terrible? You would express to me a couple of months ago when we met that you would like to eventually be a manager or you're hoping for a, prom- or a raise or a promotion in your next raise. Can you imagine if you didn't get that simply because you weren't showing up on time for work based on all the other good things you did? And so that kind of reminds them, yeah, that is true. I do want that raise. I, I do want that promotion. I do want such and such because that's their driver and motivator. And that's the example. And so, you know, when I think of motivating people, it's so hard. And I have to tell you, Ted, you know, I was thinking about this before the show today. You know what really bugs me about the phrase, how you, how you motivate people? There's a subtle undertone that the people you're motivating are lazy or or are disorganized or in, in, in some way less than yeah some way less than and I thought well wait a minute so Michael Jordan in in his uh, special on ESPN he talked all the time about how he lost motivation and he would come up with artificial ways to motivate himself Michael Jordan one of the greatest if not the greatest winner of all time so I, I think that when it comes to motivation, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is if we need to motivate our team or individuals on our team, what's the message we're telling ourselves? Because if the message you're telling yourself about that person is they're less than, and oh, I need to pay extra special attention to them, you're already going to have a hard time achieving because you're, if you're thinking less than and you're, you're, your default is to think that they're lacking something it will distract you from the end goal. You know, one of the things that we stopped doing was the shame motivation. Mm -hmm. And in order to replace it with something, I came up with the group speak motivation. Yes. So when somebody continuously would come to work late, I would say something like, you know, everybody was here on time and we depend on you mm. as a leader. I like that. And th- and that's all I would say and walk away. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and let the group shame thing be, uh, dis- what, what's that word where it gets dissipated amongst the whole group where everybody looks at each other and goes, huh. You know, like I like that. You know what? What did he say? What is he saying? You know. So I, I agree with everything you're saying. I just think we need to let people feel a little bad sometimes. Yeah, and you know what's funny, Ted? Not only, I mean that that suggestion fits a few things. One, less is more, and two, you know, guilt can be powerful at times. 
Absolutely. It's a human motivator. Yeah. And and so making people and Ted, you you know, you you just final thought before we go to our next break, break is this. You know, you can tell people why they should feel bad or you can say something like, we kind of depend on you without then saying you should feel bad or you're not doing enough and then let them draw the conclusion on their own, which is which is so powerful. Well, there's no other way to get people to buy in. There isn't. And so when you tell people the answer, when you tell people why they should feel bad, 90 plus percent of the time, they already know. You're not telling them anything new. That's not a motivational strategy. As a matter of fact, I would argue it's a demotivational strategy. Um, so, so I think that's a great point. And I think as we go into break, think about that. Think about if you're in a position of leadership, a parent, a coach, a boss, and you're trying to get someone to recognize the importance of taking action Think about something you could say where they would draw the conclusion on their own without you having to tell them why they should. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're talking in our performance management series, and we've been talking about the uh, multi-pronged word expectations, and then we transition a little bit to uh, motivational strategies outside of uh, consequences and rewards. And now we're going to go in a little bit different direction, and we're going to talk about the rah-rah manager. And so this is really interesting because in one of the conversations I had recently in these discovery interviews, the leader said to me, you know, I, I, I'm just not a rah-rah manager. It's, you mean like a cheerleader? Yes. Is that what you mean? Okay. Yes. And he said, you know, I'm just not that kind of manager. Um, and then right after he said it, he made a point to say, but I'm a really even-keeled manager. And so I don't get too high. I don't get too low. People know what to expect as far as my management style and so on and so forth. And I said, I understand. And, you know, even keeled is one of those expressions that I keep adding to my list of expressions that is used typically with pride and in a positive sense. But there could be negative aspects, obviously, of being even keeled. I I think so. Right? Yeah. So I said to him, I said to him, and this is one of my favorite conversations, Ted, to have. I said to him, I said, why don't you think you're a rah-rah manager? Why don't you think you're a cheerleader type? Why don't you think that? And he said, I don't know. I, I really haven't thought about it. It's just not my style. And I said, well, I think I know. And he said, what? And I said, I bet that you haven't been around people in your life whether it be managers or your parents or whatever. And I was being a little forward, but I said, that have been cheerleaders for you. That you probably haven't been around a culture of being cheerled, 
So it wouldn't be your way to do it either. And he smiled and he goes, yeah, actually, you're probably right about that. And I said, I'm going to take it a step further. I said, and don't misread because I'm not necessarily claiming you need to be a rah-rah manager to be a good manager. That's not my point. But I'll take it a step further. And I bet part of the reason you're not also a rah-rah manager is because it feels high maintenance to you. Because you're probably a pretty self-driven, you know, because you haven't had that cheerleader in your life. You're pretty self-driven and you know you know what you need to tell yourself to get things done. So if someone needs something like that, you probably have told yourself, come on, like you really need a pat on the back, you know? And so he agreed again. He said, I think that's true. And then he went on to say, he talked about situational awareness. He said, well, Mark, there are people on my team that don't need the rah-rah. They're, they're just like me. They're very self-driven. And I said, I'm sure that's true. I said, I agree. But the thing is, is the effective leaders adapt their management styles to the individuals on their team. So for the people that might need the pat on the back or the cheerlead, if it's not your style to do so, you're depriving them of an opportunity to develop them further, to not get in slumps. I mean, I could go on and on, but I ultimately said it is situational. But if you've identified the people that need that kind of support, instead of looking down on them for, I can't believe they need that, say, wow, look at me. I've identified that they need that and I can deliver on it. Now it's on him. Right. So that's the big point, Ted, because that's the thing with leaders. If if he does that and he, he identifies that these are people who need the cheerleader type of support, like Ted said, not only is it on him, but now this another phrase that people throw around carelessly, got to get outside my comfort zone, mm-hmm. right? So this is a perfect example. Look, you know, when you work with people like I do, you can't, it's one thing to give someone the answer. So now that guy walks away from the conversation. He says, you know, Mark made a really good point. I really do need to cheerlead with those specific people. Well, that's not even half of it. He He now knows the answer and what he needs to do. But now he has to get out of his head trash and get out of his own way and be willing to not look down on those people and be willing to execute what he knows to be the right answer. We're talking about prejudgment in the workplace. I don't want to get into the rules on that. I just simply want to say that when you hear the words from a leader or somebody in a leadership position that says, well, these people are like me and these others aren't, then you know the big light should go off and they should stop themselves and say, did I just say that? You know, maybe, and like you said, maybe I need to help them. I need to get out and do the leadership role. And, you know, until people separate themselves from, oh, well, you're like me and you're okay and the, well, then the ones that aren't like me aren't okay, that's a real problem in the workplace. And we have rules now that govern that. Ted, I, I have to say, and I, I hope you know, I take a lot of pride in not for those, of, for those of you, our listeners, there's a word I like to use a lot. It's called platitudes. And see, I don't like to give compliments to people just to give them. Ted, what you said is nothing short of profound. Because when I hear what you say, it, it's so high level in the sense that 
Before you execute a new behavior or a habit or performance improvement, you have to think about what Ted just said. You have to think, well, wait a minute. Am I separating myself? Am I stigmatizing? Am I grouping people in a certain way that would prevent me from managing them effectively? And that is the highest level of awareness. Hey, all you have to do is take apart the word prejudice. What's the first part? Pre and then prejudge. Wow. Prejudge. Wow. That's awesome, Ted. That's that's great stuff. So this is why we paid Ted so much to consult for the show. I mean, you know, he doesn't he doesn't just get to, you know, he, he has to earn his money here. Yeah, you sent me two checks last month. You, you know, <laughs> I, I, we gotta talk. <laughs> that's great. So okay, so I, I just want to finish this concept though. So the bottom line is that if you are the kind of leader, and again, coach, parent, boss, whatever who you realize what you need to do to be more effective to motivate people, but you're not necessarily, you can't get your mindset, you can't get yourself to the point, then you need to find someone in your life that can help you move off this block because that is a block. And for this specific person in question, who I believe is a very talented leader based on my conversation with him, you know, how is he going to get to the point? And it comes back down to this. If he is going to be open-minded to manage those people and cheerlead, change his personality, change his style a little bit, you know what part of the answer is? He has to know what's in it for, the, for him. Because once he makes that adaptive change and gets out of his comfort zone and is more open to doing it, then I would say to him, okay, let's say you do it flawlessly. And here we are again. What are your expectations? Because if you get out of your comfort zone and adapt your style, you're doing it because you expect something different to happen. It's like, okay, I'll do it. All right, Mark, I agree. It's the right thing to do. Mark, I don't don't know this guy. And and we've never had this conversation before. But I got to tell you, you know, he's demonstrated willingness because he's had you in there. That's true. But, But I still say, Ted... That there is a uh, there is a a, a, um, a conscious or subconscious expectation that when people do things differently than they're doing, they're expecting some kind of outcome with it. Would you agree? I absolutely agree, and and I'm I'm thinking that you are the stopgap to him realizing he needs a new hire. Well, and. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. An assistant manager. Well, and so, and then the outcome is, so if he was sitting there with me right now, the outcome is, okay, so let's say you adapt your behavior. Well, we need to be clear, what is it specifically that these team members you've identified who need a cheerleader, what is it specifically you're hoping your cheerleading does for them? And he would have to articulate what it is he wants to see improve, and then we'd have to say, Okay, well, is it just cheerleading that's going to get that done? Or are there other criteria that need to come into play? So, look, at the end of the day, when we talk about motivating people, you know, self-awareness is so big. And whether it's self-awareness of what you're not doing, self-awareness of why you're not doing it, which is your baggage or your limited um, uh, exposure to a cheerleading culture, whether it's your prejudging that's going on that you're doing, all these self-awareness components, that's why when it comes to emotional intelligence, everything starts with self-awareness because you can't do anything else unless you're self-aware of what's not happening and why it's not happening.
So, look, I, I think when it, leadership is so hard, it is, it requires so much. Um, you got to come to terms every day, often three or four times a day, with what you're doing and who your audience is, both internal and external. Well, and, and Ted, you know what I get resentful of, and I am intentionally using the word resentful when I, as, a, as a parent. I get resentful that I have to be aware of the fact that I'm modeling behavior all day, every day. And so when my son sees something, I know that he's picking that up. And, you know, for my two older children, the same thing. But that can be tough knowing that all eyes are upon you or and and you have to be responsible for your actions constantly, right? Well, you know, um, with uh, children, it's a matter of responsibility, and you have to know that the only way they're gonna do things in the future is by the example set. That doesn't always work in the workplace because people get a pretty big head when they are trying to make money, you know, and. But with children, their future actions will be determined by the example set. Well, and, and what's interesting is, as a final thought before we head into break, what's interesting about this is, you know, for those of you listening and you're like, well, Mark, it's, you're making it seem like all day, every day, I have to be on my guard. Well, guess what? There's a bright side to this. You're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. So the good news is, if you're self-aware... You will catch yourself with those mistakes, and then you'll be able to talk to your team, your kids, your players about them because and it's a double benefit because not only are you self-aware of a mistake, you come across as human and vulnerable, which are motivating characteristics, and then they now learn they can be human and vulnerable as well. Because you set the example that you learned from your mistake. That's right. That's right. So, all right, we're going to head into our final break, and when we come back... We're going to talk about modeling behavior and we're going to talk about doing what you say or doing what you should do, not what you say. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. And for our final segment, we're going to talk about uh, the leadership motto, do as I say, not as I do, right? Which we obviously, we don't like that motto, obviously. And not so much. Uh, and and so I, I want to give you a quick anecdote of someone I was talking to in a leadership position. This was fabulous. So I asked him in one of these discovery interviews, I said, can you give me a scenario with your team that you're struggling to get them to motivate them to do it differently than they're doing it? So he said, absolutely. He said, the situation is, is that they're not communicating with our customers enough. And he said, what I mean is that when they have to give updates to customers about certain things, they're not consistently giving those updates and they're specifically not giving the updates because if there's no news to update, they're like, well, I have nothing to tell them, so I'm not going to call them until I have something to tell them. Now, I have to tell you, my customer service rule, and this has been 
since I've been probably 20 years old, before I had any businesses or anything. I was so passionate about customer service at a young age that I said, this is my rule. And, and Ted, God's honest truth. If there was, if there was, if, if customers said to me, I want to know what it's like to work with Mindset Go, I would say, first and foremost, here's what you can always count on. Always. And I mean always. I would say, if you are ever walking around your office wondering when I'm going to respond to you, whose job it is to do the next step in our process, um, when you're going to hear back from me about a question, I failed you. I've already failed you. There should always be clear expectations about the next steps in the process, who's going to do them, what's going to happen, and when. And, and I mean, I have lived with that mantra for the last 25 plus years of my life. So whenever I deal with someone in customer service that I'm waiting for an answer for, and they say, I'll get back to you as soon as we know, I say, that doesn't help me at all because I don't know what that means. And so please tell me when you'll get back to me. And they'll say, well, I don't know when we're going to have the answer. I say, okay, well, let me help you. I want you to get back to me. If you tell me you're going you, to, let's say they say to me, there's a range of time, two to four days when I'll have the answer. I say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a note to call me in two days to give me an update. Even if that update is, we're still working on it. I don't know yet, but I should have an answer within two more days. I don't care if you even want to, uh, you know, under promise and over deliver. You, you can extend the deadline as much as you want, but I need to know what's going to happen and when. So it turns out, Ted, so he tells me this is the problem with his team. They're not doing it. And then earlier in the conversation, when I asked him to critique his own leadership style, he said, well, you know, you know, with everything going on with COVID and all the changes going on in the world, sometimes I'm not great about communicating updates with the team about different changes going on in the organization. So I said, huh, looks like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree then, does it? And so he laughed and I said, look, I said, you're, you're modeling a behavior. Now, look, for the listeners out there, I'm not proposing that every salesperson on his team is sitting there going, well, you know what? If he's not going to give us updates, then we're going to blow off the customers. That's not what I'm proposing. But these are core values. And every leader in every organization has core values. And the question I always ask is, how are you demonstrating on a daily basis those core values and how are you recognizing when people exhibit those core values? So now this guy goes in a meeting with his team and he said to them, hey, I just want you guys to know that I've appreciated the feedback you've given me on me being a little lax on giving you updates with going on, what's going on in the organization. So I'm going to make a point to really improve on that moving forward. And I'll continue to ask you for feedback to make sure I am doing a better job of it. Well, talk about modeling a behavior because now you're validating the feedback you've received. You're not making an excuse. You're purposefully saying you're going to make an effort. So now the next time you have a conversation with them and they're like, wow, you've been doing a great job on that, boss. Then you can say, well, you remember when I talked to you about reaching out to customers on a more consistent basis? Well, that's I was trying to model that behavior because I know it was important to you. So I was trying to show you. So... This would be important to the company. This would be important to me. And that's what I mean about modeling behavior and do as I do, not as I say.
Now look, I know, I know there is a faction of leaders listening to this saying, hey Mark, I got news for you. When I tell them they need to call the customers, regardless of their updates, this is not a democracy, right? This is something I'm asking them to do and I expect them to do it. And again, where I started the show today, I understand that. And I'm not proposing you start enabling your team and letting them have a vote in every decision they make and decide what they're going to do and what they're not going to do as, a fo- as opposed to, uh, as related to following policies, procedures, processes. But what I am saying is there's a lot of things that leaders expect from their followers, a lot. And they're not always going to meet your expectations and they're not always going to satisfy those. So when the times come when they don't, you have some choices to make. And the choices are start with modeling the behaviors and values that you want your team to exhibit and recognizing your team for those things when they exhibit. So in a sales meeting, when you start your next sales meeting and you're like, okay, great job, everybody. Let me tell you all the great sales numbers we have for the week and and we're, or, or let me tell you how we're not hitting our numbers. How about adding to the sales meeting, I'd like to recognize Ted, who's been doing a phenomenal job following up with customers on a consistent basis. How about that? That's recognizing core values. You know, before there was the internet, after a sales call or after a phone call, we would send something called the follow-up letter. And the follow-up letter, whether we do it with an email now or whether we do it with a text or however people are doing it, the purpose of the follow-up letter is not to make nice nice and thank them. The purpose of the follow-up letter is to confirm mutual commitments, like you were saying about a two-day turnaround in follow-up. Don't wait four days. Call me on the sec. You know, the, after two days. So. The follow-up, if if we can train everybody to use the follow-up as a means by which to confirm commitments to each other, I think we'd all do very much better in human relationships. Well, as a matter of fact, Ted, a lot of times when I work with customer service teams, they'll tell me, well, I don't like giving specific dates for follow-up because I don't know when I'll get the answer. I said, but then then you're making it about you and not the customer because what you're really saying is, I don't want to have extra work and to make another that's, call. Right. That's, that's all they're saying. That's all they're saying. So it, so right. this is this is the thing. In sales and service, you're supposed to make it about the customer and the prospect, not about you. And again, people have so much fear of the unknown. People have so many fears. Your your bare minimum obligation is to remove fears and unknowns in the sales or service process. So look, this this is really a complex topic. And when you're, when you're learning and understanding how to motivate people, look, put, put, it, put it this way. Think of the expression, pressing people's buttons. Okay, so that expression basically indicates that you are very clear on what not to do when communicating because it's going to press their buttons. And guess what? Most people, unless they're malicious, aggressive people, most people have no problem building the habit not to press people's buttons. You know why? Because they don't want to fight. They don't want conflict. So they're happy to appease. Well, why can't we go the other way? You know, if, if, we, if we're pretty consistently able to build the habit not to press people's buttons, why don't we build the habits 
if we know what motivates people and if we know what drives people, why don't we feed them? Why don't we fuel them with that information? We have everything to gain by building each other up and nothing to gain by tearing each other down. Yeah, I mean, so so well said, Ted. And so part of part of being an effective leader, and, and, and for those of you who know me, you know how passionate I am about emotional intelligence, but that is the core skill set that guides leadership. And uh, so when we come back next week, for our next week, we're going to continue our performance management series. We'll expand out on these topics. I will address any emails or contacts I get in the beginning of the week or uh, during the week. But for Mark Altman, if you want more information on using Mindset Go, 978-206-1535 or email info at mindsetgo.com. Remote leadership, virtual engagement, conflict resolution, sales training, you name it, we got it. For Mark Altman, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.